Karen Murray, we are back. I'm in for Jim Chapman this week. He's vacationing in Cuba. We expect to probably hear from him. We'll see how that goes. And uh, he's been hanging out on the beach and smoking a lot of cigars, mm. which is very nice. Well, on Wednesdays, as you know, at 11 o'clock, it is right, left, and center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, who have joined me in the studio. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Karen. Nice to, uh, nice to be back in yeah, here nice with you. Yeah, nice to see you again. It's been a while. Oh, thank you. It's been a while, but it's always fun. So today, the, uh, we thought we would talk about the United Alternative uh, campaign and conference that happened this weekend, uh, this past weekend in Ottawa. I don't think either of you were there. No. Nope. But following it in the newspapers like the rest of us, um, I spoke to a couple of people on Monday's show. I spoke to Jason Kenney, Reform MP, who's the campaign director for the Unite the Right uh, um, the Unite the Right campaign, and also I spoke to uh, Dan Mailer, who is a former uh, PC party member. But what I thought... That's made of mine, actually. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I heard that. He has a great radio voice. He low, does. deep, wonderful. Yeah. It was quite interesting. It was good to get that perspective from people who had actually been there. Yeah, see, I, I disagreed with just about everything he's ever said, and I think he disagrees with everything I say, but he <laughs> says it in such a great way. <laughs> but it sounds good. It does. Well, it's kind of like you guys. I'm almost persuaded. <laughs> Well, I thought we would uh, we'd kind of open up this discussion. Uh, we'll open it up, of course, to everybody. Um, we want your thoughts on it. What do you think of the Unite the Right uh, alternative idea? Is it necessary, or should the two parties be, uh, be left alone? And what do you think about the changing sort of um, landscape of the, of the traditional political parties uh, in Canada? And where is it all going? Is the, can, the, can the progressive conservative party survive? What about the NDP? Um, Phone lines are open, 643-1290, 643-1290, or on the Cantel Cellular Network, it is star 1290, and that is a free call. So first of all, with, uh, with you two, what do you think about uh, this whole concept of uniting the right? I, I have to, it's, it's pathetic, really. I, I think what we're, what we're seeing here is a, is a gross admission that our electoral system is totally incapable of accommodating the choices the voters want to make today so that they want to narrow the number of choices available to us. Now, of course, the reason for that is because we still operate under a first-past-the-post system where the winner takes all. And what that means is that the majority of people in any given riding are likely to vote against the person who's going to have the seat for that riding, which is exactly what happened in Ontario and which created a lot of this problem. In, in many of the ridings in Ontario, if you had combined the conservative and the reform votes, they would have beat the liberal mm -hmm. candidate in that riding. So clearly more people are voting against liberal than for, but they're still getting liberal governments. That's right. That's and, interesting. And that's, that's the whole problem. There is no other problem. But of all the options that they had there at the Unite the Right conference, I think they had four of them. Mm -hmm. And they were, uh, one, unite behind an existing party, two, merge with two or more parties, three, have local unity initiatives, which means a riding by riding, you know, just working on a local level, four, form a new party. Now, the two options I would have wanted to see were, one, a commitment to, re to reform the electoral system so that it will actually reflect a majority of the votes, or carry on as before. Those two choices were not even on the agenda. Yeah, and to me, those are, right. those are mm -hmm. the two, two most important choices to have there, and that's the reason I didn't go, because they already had the agenda set in advance, and it sounded like it was pretty much a closed shop in terms of how far they were going to go. Now, I've talked to a couple of reformers who did attend the event. I had a number of people there that I know, 
And they were very upset at the whole event because as far as they saw it, reform was selling out on its principles really? and, uh, and uh, giving up the very things on which it was founded in order to appease everything from, uh, uh, you know, conservatives to Quebecers and, and the whole Quebec situation. Yeah. So it seems to me it's a major step backwards possibly the reform party want i mean obviously they're there to win but they want to they want to form a government and they're almost willing to do it at whatever cost mm -hmm. i thought that was the liberal party that did that <laughs> wait a minute they're stealing i'm sure they're not unique but, uh, but maybe we had the idea that they were a little bit different and that they were standing firm on their their principles well, and their and, platform and that's the dilemma i think that the parties always face at some point and that is um, you know, can you remain ideologically pure or do you want to get elected you because you win? can't do both mm -hmm. and the fact is that the majority of the electorate elect, elections are not one and uh, one end or the other they're one in a swing of votes in the middle you know the, the sort of great mass of us in the middle will sort of go this way in one election the other way in the other election there'll be hardcore left and hardcore right in every election and it's a matter of winning the hearts of the middle if you want to win the election which isn't to say that that's what you should always want to do uh, and certainly the NDP have have for most of their history not tried to do that they've always spoken as a voice uh, of uh, a certain set of beliefs and and in most elections they know full well going into it they have no hope in the world of being elected uh, generally when an NDP government has been elected it's been more of a, a backlash or a reaction against a particular government than it has the people are particularly suddenly all left-wingers and we saw that uh, in a big way in Ontario in 1990 when the NDP were elected I don't think that Ontario suddenly became a socialist uh, place we all woke up one morning and everybody thought I feel like a left-winger today. It's just they were mad at the Liberals for calling such a quick election. Uh, and one of the things that, that struck a chord for me, and, and uh, off the bat, I guess I have to say that I'm, I'm just as happy that the right are not united federally right now because the left are not either. Uh, certainly, uh, it was the NDP who, who first start, started the bandwagon of saying, we don't like the Liberal Party anymore. We're hiving off and having our own party uh, of people on the left. I'm glad that the right have done that as well. It's sort of uh, balancing things out a little bit. Um, but it seems to me uh, John Crosby uh, made a lot of sense on the weekend, and uh, I know that my friend Dan called him a dinosaur, and uh, maybe <laughs> he is, right. although he's pretty, he's, he's a smart old dinosaur, although a crusty one. I, yeah. Anyway, uh, his thesis was we had a united right up until uh, the Reform Party were started, and uh, his thing was, you know, you, you shouldn't have gone off and done that. If you hadn't, we might be the government today, and probably we would be. Uh, if you look at what's happened in Ontario, for instance, where the the uh, more uh, right-wing elements of the progressive, progressive Conservative Party were successful effectively in taking over that party, and, and by doing that, they're able to... Um, First of all, gain the uh, the party apparatus, if you like, plus all the uh, legitimacy that the Progressive Conservative Party has in Ontario, but you're still able to push a right-wing uh, uh, agenda. Mm -hmm. So if, for instance, reform had come into Ontario, we wouldn't have a, a right-wing government today. We would have, again, probably a liberal government somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think that in a lot of ways, the, uh, the right could learn a lot of lessons from uh, Mike Harris and from Ralph Klein by saying, look, we live in a real world, there are some things we can accomplish and we can get people to go along with, but we can't push things like anti-abortion, um, anti-gay, all these things. Uh, you just have to, to if you're going to, if you want to run things, you just can't have it all your way. There are some things you have to give on. I, I want to contest your statement that you ha can't be an ideologically pure, pure party and, and get elected. I think, I don't think, I don't like the word ideologically pure. I, I like to see the word mostly say something like consistent, where where the party that you vote for, you can count on them 
to carry through on the promises that they that they made during the election. Wouldn't that be something? And that's what people are looking for. <laughs> they don't even care so much whether it's left or right or wrong or right, mm -hmm. if you want to put it that way. They just want to know that if they vote for this candidate, that he's going to follow through on what he said he was going to do in the election. And now reforms made a huge step backwards from everything they've been promising over the past years. Um, so... so and the idea of appealing to the middle, like, you know, left, right, and center, or appealing to the center, uh, I don't really think the word is center again. I think it's majority. If the majority of your public is principled and believes in individualism and freedom and things like that, they will vote for a party like that, and it'll be considered the middle. If the majority of your public believes in socialism, free handouts, uh, dependency, and, and a lot of state intervention, then you're going to get the liberal government that we've got, and that's the simple fact, is that there are in political majorities that's who supports the liberals in real majority in terms of more people don't support the liberals but our voting system will not allow that to be reflected and that's why we need to have proportional representation and not just for the benefit of parties but for the benefit of voters that gives them more than one choice at the polls so that they can have a first second and third choice if they don't like what they're given or even a choice of none of the above now, one of the things, and you mentioned that uh, a couple of these alternatives were not on the not on the agenda. That uh, it seems like people always have to uh, have to change things. And uh, I remember being struck. I was on the editorial board of the Free Press uh, a couple of years ago, and there was one of the uh, the senior um, editorial writers there who told me, took me aside one day, and said, "You know, people don't vote for governments because they like them. They vote out governments because they don't like exactly. them." Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, what a what a party that's in opposition should do is basically work on keeping its nose clean and building itself because one and day saying gonna, nothing. Yeah, and one day the, the people are going to wake up and they're going to be annoyed with the existing government and they'll vote for the cl next closest alternative. And realistically right now that's the Reform Party. In some respects it may be wisest for them to simply sit back and wait for their turn because one of the things we've seen historically in Canada is that we vote in the Liberals for a while and then, and then they get corrupt and they get into trouble with this, that and the other thing. There's some scandals that go on. People get annoyed by them and they vote them out for a while and that's uh, you know, if history tells us anything, it tells us that's going to happen. And well, we've had two governments. I don't think here. it's history. I think again, it's our voting system that says that we have to do it that way. You know, the first past the post system forces adversarial systems. Whereas, if you had a, a system where maybe two or three of the candidates running might all get in, and they know they're going to have to work together, not work against each other, I think you would find that voters would soon find that they can actually vote for something instead of always having to vote against something and being forced into what they always call the lesser of three evils or four evils or five evils, but you notice the word evil is consistent. <laughs> and that's basically what, how people feel about politics, and rightly so. Politics is force. It's the, whole, it's, 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 it's the rules by which we will use force in our society. Will we, will we have a private health care system where people pay their own way, or will we have a forced health care system where you can't buy private insurance, where you have to go to the hospitals they provide you, where you have to pay the taxes, and where you have no choice? Right. You know, and that's basically where we're at. You know, the London Free Press ran an interesting, on February 15th, they ran a, should Canada's right merge under a united alternative, and both of the writers on both sides of the issue, yes and no, are purported conservatives. Now, Mort Glanville, who is the uh, national president of the PC Party of Canada, makes an interesting comment here about reform. He says, Tories are repulsed by the reform election ads about Quebec leaders, their support for privatized Medicare, their lack of support for equalization payments, their opposition to official bilingualism, 
and frankly their hypocrisy on issues like storing away you know now personally i'm repulsed by people who wouldn't support privatized medic medicare who wouldn't uh, want to do away with equalization payments these things are destroying our country and yet the pcs want to continue supporting them that to me that makes them like the liberals mm -hmm. the question is do we have to have a different party then there's all these different uh, variations in, in sort of where people stand on different issues i've heard a lot about how there are the economic right-wingers versus the social right-wingers and that that sort mm -hmm. of broadly defines the difference between reform and, and conservative a lot of conservatives say that they support conservative e or economic principles but they don't support conservative social principles so so do you need to have two parties and and we've got examples of as long as those differences exist absolutely because yeah, well, you can't have inconsistent if you have an inconsistency in your philosophy one side of it's going to win out over time there's just no two ways about it that's just the way things work and it'll be the part that gets the most political support in the case of a party that just appeals to populism which by the way well, is not fact, the way to run a country i would argue that it can be more more um, insidious than that in the sense that if you've got very few parties to choose from what ends up happening is that it's the internal hierarchy of the party that ends up running the country rather than the uh, the electorate in the sense that uh, yes. all, all the electorate does is vote for these guys and once they're elected then the party really decides who the prime minister is going to be the party decides uh, what their policies are another reason be. to have a have a proportional representation where parties play a very secondary role in fact under under the proportional representation that i prefer uh, which is single transferable vote if the public didn't like the current batch of say conservatives but still like the conservative party they could throw them out and put in new people right. under the conservative the, the options are just endless under under these other points of other systems of voting but we just won't do it because the party in power has everything to gain by the first past the post system and they will not change and will not support anything that changes that. I think we need a united alternative against the first-past-the-post system and for a voting system that makes a clear majority of votes count, that makes everybody's individual vote count. That's a united alternative I, I would join, and in fact, we're working with that through Freedom Party and all the minor parties in Ontario and trying to get the NDP on board because they do say that they... Uh, support proportional representation but don't want anything to do with us of course you know? <laughs> so that's politics for you i'll tell you yeah, it is well let's uh, let's have a look um let's go to ivan and see what ivan has to say Hi, how are you good morning ivan well how are you fabulous so what do you think about the united well united I, I think that why would why would a person want to join join up with another party that's 10 million dollars in a hole would you join up a with a company that's $10 million in the hole. And here is Crosby's making, opening his big mouth again. He, wasn't his government uh, put us uh, to $500 billion in a debt? Well, Ivan, ruined, Ivan. Ruined our, ruined, ruined our cod industry? That, that was just one of the options, eh, to join, a, to join the other parties. Nobody went for that one. They all decided yeah. that they're going to go for a new party entirely. So, But here's uh, something that, uh, Bob, you said that, uh, public health care system rules the country. No, no, no. It's taxes that ruin the country, Bob. If we, if we, well, what, what do we spend we the majority of taxes on, Ivan? It's in, it, what do we spend the majority of our taxes on? It's it's on public health care, public education, which of course and means government health care. They reduced the taxes, got rid of the sales taxes. A person could afford his own health care system. Well, absolutely. So what they should do is get get rid of taxes and. Atrocity. I don't know if you looked up what the word atrocity in a dictionary means. It has nothing to do with uh, killing people. It has nothing to do with really burning people. It says atrocity is cruelty or wickedness, extreme painfulness. 
Well, I say that any government that overtaxes is committing an atrocity, because that's cruel, wickedness, painfulness, because any person that would steal, and that's exactly what they're doing, steal 50 to 60 percent of a person's hard-earned income, that's an atrocity. I don't care. That's what Webster's Dictionary says. Bob, I'm going to tell you something. Get rid of the taxes. Well, I'm not going to argue with you on that point, Ivan. If you you take 60% of your income, what the heck else can you afford? But but if you get rid of the taxes, surely you would accept the idea you have to do everything at once. You can't, can't, for example, pull the plug on socialized Medicare and then not get rid of taxes, or get rid of taxes and not pull the plug on socialized Medicare. Just just get rid of the Canadian Senate. Make the churches pay their taxes, Bob. You're talking nickels and dimes, Ivan. That might cover an hour's interest on the debt. If they, we could get the, right here in London, there's 235 churches in the yellow pages. That's just in London. If all the churches paid their taxes, we wouldn't have a debt anymore, Bob. I think if the churches had to pay their taxes, we wouldn't have half the churches, and your point would be moot anyway. No, get rid of the churches. Get rid of them. Well, it doesn't do anything for the country. I, we still have crime. We everything else. Make them pay like anybody else. Why should I have to pay a property tax? Because I live in an apartment. Cost me property tax. Why should I pay for my property tax? And why should I pay for anybody's Sunday morning entertainment? I ask nobody to pay for my entertainment. I pay it myself. So you're saying if we get rid of the churches, we don't need a united alternative? Well, that's a I wonderful leap there, Ivan. It would help get rid of our high taxes, now they would be paying their fair share. Okay, Ivan, thanks for have your thoughts. Have a great day, everybody. Nice you talking too. to you, Bob. See ya. We'll have to go for lunch again sometime. <laughs> right. and, you, and you can buy this time, okay? <laughs> okay. Thanks, Cheers, Ivan. Bob. See ya. Bye-bye. Phone lines are open, 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. That is a free phone call. Uh, we're talking about the United Alternative Conference and the possibility of a Unite the Right, uh, a, a brand new party is what they'd, what they'd like to do. We want to know what you think about that. We're going to take a quick break and rejoin uh, Schlemmer and Metz for Life uh, Left, Right and Center. In just a moment, you're listening to Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Welcome back. This is Left, Right and Center with Schlemmer and Metz. We're talking about the United Alternative Conference and the possibility of another um, conservative party. Maybe a combination of the uh, Progressive Conservative Party and Reform. They decided at their conference on the weekend that their, their best bet would be to form a new party, but that's quite a long ways off. We're taking your phone calls on this, 643-1290 or star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. And we're going to go back to the phones to say good morning to John. Hello, John. Oh, good morning, ma'am. Um, we've got to see your guests. Um, the Reform Party itself failed in Ontario. Because we now had established in Ontario its facsimile, namely the Harris government. That's why the Liberals got in with such an overwhelming majority in Ontario. Because the people realized that possibly if the province had gone too far to the right, then we didn't want the federal government going too far to the right. But as far as a different party is concerned, possibly... The Progressive Reform Party, because boy, do we ever need some reform. <laughs> you know, John, I, I think you got a, you got a strong point here on how voters think too, because it's very possible that Harris being in the provincial legislature has a lot to do with the reluctance of many voters to go to the right federally. 
Oh, yeah. And, and I've run into many voters myself who <clears throat> vote both ways, one way or the other, depending on what, what, what the other standing is, federal or provincial. Sure. Now, then, uh, I, I, I heard Ivan on, you know, and there's an old saying, exaggerated speech leads to exaggerated conclusions. And his, um, <laughs> his phobia with respect to taxes, it's interesting to note, I have in front of me um, a publication, Corporation and Taxations in Canada, on fair shares. And what I was looking through particularly was the deferred taxes owing to this government. Now, much is made about the personal debt of everybody in this country. But <laughs> when I consider that, for argument's sake, Alcan Aluminum of the U.S., in 1996, owed this country, uh, as far as deferred taxes was concerned, almost a billion dollars, 996 million. And why is that? Well, because they've had deferred taxes. But why did they have the deferred tax? Well, I guess they have good accountants. Well, isn't it got... When you defer your taxes, it's generally because you've made an investment in this country and you've created employment and done a lot of yes, things. Yes, but what does deferred mean? Does well, it deferred mean means you're going to pay it later. Deferred till next year, the year after, the year after, or the year after. However, I am left with the words of Charles Spurgeon, who made comment with regards to, <laughs> interestingly enough, entitled Men with Two Faces, under which he listed... Um, politicians first and foremost, lawyers of equal prominence, and even ministers of the cloth, where he stated, he who believes that either the liberals or the Tories will let us off with lighter taxes must have been born on the first day after the last day of March. And he who believes that either will ever be free of patronage must have long ears and may as well pray at the moon. And he who believes in promises made at elections must have been educated in an idiot asylum. For Mr. Plausible and Mr. Facing both ways has been round seeking the common vote with the promise of all sorts of good things. Will they? Of course, the day after tomorrow, or a little later than never. For when these men of principle get their seats, they cannot stand for their principles, save that it serves their purpose to do so. <laughs> Thanks for that, John. Amused? <laughs> yeah, very. Oh, Thank you very much for the call. Well, something I wanted to bring up was uh, talking about different political systems in uh, in different countries. Um, there are other countries, um, European countries in particular, that have a lot of uh, different parties, whereas just south of the border here, of course, there's the strict two-party system. Is it a good... Could it work? Um... Having having a, having a number of different parties? Oh, absolutely. I think so, because uh, if you have a system that accommodates them appropriately, mm -hmm. all that means is that you're going to have the makeup of your legislature, parliament, government, whatever it is, uh, elected in a different manner. It doesn't ultimately change the total number of seats, the basic structure of government, what government does, other than what politicians decide to do so it's merely process we're talking about but it's a very important process and I think if we want to pretend to be a democracy we should at least have a process that emulates what the myth of, of democracy is majority rule we have nothing even closely resembling it and I'm not a big majority rule fan but I would like to see at least in our government the majority of the constituents have in power the people that they would have preferred mm -hmm. not always being stuck with the guy who wins because 
some vote was split somewhere. Well, it would be interesting to see what the uh, voter turnout is in countries like uh, like Italy, for instance, or Israel, where you've got a variety of parties, and the parties, I think, are much more um, ideologically consistent, uh, the word you used earlier, and, and what they do is that the, the exercise seems to be coalition building. That is, the parties get together with each other and say, well, you know, can we get together on this issue or that issue and form a government? And in that sense, it would seem like the individual may have a lot more of a chance to uh, to to have their ideas make it through into government because you've, you you're a party that's a economic uh, right wing but social left wing for instance or whatever um, and then it's a matter of building those coalitions I think that, that a concern historically has been that they tend to be unstable they tend to rise and fall uh, Italy I can't remember the number of, of governments they've had since World War II but I remember it was some astronomical number well, Italy is possibly the worst example to choose of any form of government I think if they had a two government two two party system that would be just as bad there because essentially all their parties are the same. You've got you know, a hundred variants of socialism and communism and fascism. And they they've done well economically. Which, uh, well, because every, every political party of every persuasion is starting to learn a little bit about free market economics and those they have to do it. I'm still of the belief that if we had re-elected uh, Ray last time, he'd be, be doing the same things Harris oh, did yeah. in the past term. And, and if it was the liberals, they'd do the same thing. Economically, they have to. Mm -hmm. They have no choice. And that's sad that. because, well, the market rules. I mean, that's the people speaking. They don't want their money squandered on things that they don't want to spend their money on. Yeah, I think it's a matter of degree that obviously uh, Ray had already started to do things that uh, that Harris ended up doing, uh, that uh, Ray had talked about workfare, that uh, Ray had brought in the social contract, uh, unilaterally uh, revoked all the union contracts with government employees and so on. Um, those, those were economic realities of the recession. I, I don't think he would have gone as far as Harris has gone uh, in some of the more ideological... Uh, these things that, that Harris has done. One thing about Harris What's got that? What, what is Harris done ideologically? Closed hospitals for starters. That's not um, ideological. That's the same thing the NDP's doing in, in, in Manitoba and, and all the other provinces are doing right across the country, now, regardless well, of what their don't, party don't is. That has that nothing to do with ideology. Mike Harris is a uh, 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 platform from the start, and I think what had a lot of appeal was that they had a lot of ideological standpoints. They didn't say we're going to be a pragmatic government who will do it, come in and do what we need to do at any given time. They said these are the things we're going to do because this is what we believe in. We're going to bring in mandatory workfare, and they always be musing about a couple months or weeks ago there. What's but school, the principle behind uniforms. mandatory workfare? N name the principle behind ma mandatory workfare. I, I, it's not my idea. I, think, I don't think there is any you know, principle in mandatory. Well, it's force. Mandatory <laughs> means force. That's the principle. We believe in force. Now, how does that make him different from the other parties? I don't know. But what's interesting for me, though, is that you've got these uh, examples where you've got successful democracies operating with a, with a variety of parties. Uh, the pizza parliament, you know, is what they talk about ours now. And we've sort of been used to this two-party system uh, emulating the United States. And there's a lot of criticism in the United States of the fact of a two-party system because, again, the parties are fairly similar. Uh, you had Ross Perot come along and try and start a reform party which really did, it had some popular support and you get the odd one like Jesse Ventura for instance where people speak and say look these parties well, there main parties a, are not representing us there is a third party in the states and it's the third largest party and that's the libertarian party but they are not allowed on the ballot the things they have to do to get on the ballot to get past all the rules that the democrats and republicans have put in place are just amazing because they don't want them there mm -hmm. um, we and have, we have the powers to be like it the way it is right and we have the same situation here. That's why we have groups like Elections Ontario and stuff that regulate supposedly the finances of the of, of the parties, but are really are, are regulating their policies, what they're allowed to to do, what they're allowed to stand for. I'm not allowed to give tax credits through an Ontario political party for a campaign 
supposedly against human rights commissions. They won't let me do that. But if I want to do something for human rights commissions and gender equality and all that, then I can give tax credits. That's an amazing manipulation of the electoral system, which, which would, I would rather run as an unregistered political party so that I can get out there and say what I'm allowed to, but I'm not allowed to do that either. You're not allowed to be on... Well, and maybe we see? shouldn't be so afraid of having more parties out there, and there may be more vigorous political discourse if there was. Like, uh, in the United States, they have, they have always got the lowest voter turnout of any of the uh, democratized countries, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, Tweedledum again, and Tweedledee yeah, exactly. is the choice people <laughs> have. That's it. But if you had a ton of parties that had huge differences between them, then you may get out there and say, yeah, this party really gets me going. I yeah. want to go and support those and, guys. And it's very important to get new parties into a legislature, even if you've only got one seat or two seats, so that that person can introduce some ideas that are heard in the legislature, that are put on the Hansards and all the various recording things, so it's part of history and, and, and a debate can begin. Right. But as long as those doors are closed, there won't even be allowed to have a debate in Parliament. It just doesn't exist. It's, everything in Parliament is arguing over whether they're going to take the money out of your left pocket or your right pocket. And that's basically, <laughs> that's basically it. And if you want to support a party that says, don't take the money out of either pocket, Oh, sorry, well, that's not allowed. You know? <laughs> sorry, that's not allowed. And that's how it runs in this country. I'm not being facetious. No. I'm being quite literal. Someone wants to see the regulations, come on down to the office. You'll see it. You'll see the, the correspondence and the tape recordings that I take when I go to the Elections Commission. These people should not be there. You know, we should have free elections in this country. Anybody should be able to run. Federally, recently, uh, the, the, the federal government made, made it mandatory to have a $1,000 deposit to run. That's more than some people spend sure, on their whole campaign. Absolutely. And, and uh, also the three parties got together to ban uh, advocacy advertising by other groups during elections. Um, you know, if somebody who works at a radio station, for example, or is on air wants to run during election, they got to get off the air during mm -hmm. the election. I mean, mm -hmm. our electoral system has total contempt for the electorate. You have to understand that and utter contempt. I just can't tell you how deep it is. They, the, the politicians do not trust the public at all, no matter how much lip service they pay to them, and they want to keep the public out of every debate, uh, not have any choices in any matters. They, they ram all kinds of things through. They're just, this is not a democracy anymore, and we're in big trouble. But part of what's uh, interesting from uh, my standpoint is you look at a guy like Preston Manning, and uh, yeah, I agree with you that there are a lot of hurdles to uh, starting new parties, and, and if he starts this new party up, it'll be the second time that he's done it, and is at least the second time, I guess, his dad was a social credit uh, premier of Alberta. Uh, but the idea of deciding to go outside of an established party seems like a very risky political strategy uh, in the sense that, as I say, if he had stayed with the Tories, uh, I suspect that uh, given the all the inertia right now, is, or at least in the last decade, in the right wing has been from the fairly far right wing. I suspect he could have just had the Progressive Conservative Party for the taking. He could have taken it over, and uh, and he may well be the uh, Prime Minister today. If he starts a new party again today, I think it was Myron Thompson, who's a reform uh, MP, the other day saying he doesn't want to start a new party because it will take another 10 years to get it up and running again. Up, yeah. yeah, and uh, if Preston Manning does that again, uh, in a way, he's he's going against the, the, the grain uh, of all the bureaucracy and, and entrenched sort of... Uh, uh, system that we have that you've talked about. It's a it's a gutsy thing to do. Let's go to the phones and see what Gord has to say. Good morning, Gord. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thanks for waiting. Okay, I just had to take issue with a couple of things Mr. Matt said. Sure. Okay, he was against our social uh, Medicare, whatever. I gotta say, like, our social policies, we've got probably a very healthy society, very well-educated society, even the poor are. And I think uh, we gotta give credit to our system for that. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. Carry on. Okay, and you're talking about deferred taxes and corporations invest in the country and all that. And in a lot of cases, they do. 
But Time Magazine recently did an article on corporate welfare and sort of destroyed that myth that, oh, in order to attract business, you have to give them all these incentives. I, I, I agree that's wrong. Uh, we should not be giving corporate welfare. We right. should be lowering taxes for everyone, especially for consumers who more willing to buy and more able to buy would attract corporations here anyway because it would be business. Yeah, I figure if there's money to be made, they'll make it and they don't need but what did I say that made you think that I supported corporate welfare, Gord? I don't get that. I've never well, ever were, supported the, that. Well, about uh, deferred taxes, like I understand. Well, yes, deferred I, taxes is not corporate welfare. Every even a private businessman can have deferred taxes. I mean, if you if you run a a loss this year or next year, or you've made an investment that that exempts you from taxes for a year, or you put money into an RRSP or something, you're deferring your taxes. An RRSP is a deferred tax plan for individuals, for heaven's sake. So, you, are we going to argue that we should tax RRSPs now? I mean, we have to have savings in this country. Corporations shouldn't be taxed at all, in fact, because they are separate legal entities that that the taxes come out of when wages are paid and supplies are bought and things like that. And the reason people get together to form a corporation is to do things that they as individuals might not otherwise be able to do. Well, I, just I call that corporate welfare, by the way. What's that? Well, that's corporate welfare. Sure it is. You're saying they shouldn't pay any tax for starters, whereas they pay taxes in no, every country in the taxes, whole world. You pay taxes when, for example, the CEO of the corporation gets his salary. He pays taxes on his salary, but the no, corporation but itself doesn't. All corporation that money pays was, tax on profit. They don't pay tax on income. You're right. They buy all their stuff. They buy their supplies. And all they don't pay tax on any of that. They pay tax if they make a profit, and it's the shareholders who end up uh, right. getting what's left over. And you're yeah. right. When and, they, when and I'm they saying they, that they shouldn't. There shouldn't be any corporate tax. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to get you off track there. Well, <laughs> just couldn't leave it fast. Thanks but, for that, Gordon. Okay. Also, about. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say also the other issue I brought up, like sort of knocking our yeah Medicare. Like for one, like I said, like uh, we've got probably one of the healthiest countries, one of the best educated countries. And I think it has to do with our social um, uh, health care and uh, education system. Yeah, right. And you'd want to get rid of that? Uh, and I don't want to get rid of the doctors and nurses. I want to give choice to the consumers. I, I, you know, you might say that, you know, this is all anecdotal because you're not going to get statistics on this. But some people, you know, what half the people go to the hospital have a good experience, half don't. They like something better. But that's not even the issue. The issue is that we should be allowed to have private health insurance to offer the same kind of benefits that the government's forcing us to pay. Because it's not the quality of care that's at, at issue here. It's why can't I get the same quality care for like one-third the price? Why, why does that have to be denied me? That's not available anywhere in the world, sir. There's no, we should not have, people should not be able to walk into a doctor and charge that doctor's bill just to the taxpayer for routine medical care. The whole idea of, of of socialized medicine originally was to prevent catastrophic financial loss due to catastrophic illnesses. That was yeah. the idea. That's what insurance is for. What we have isn't even close to insurance. There is no fund. We don't have a health care fund. It's just a tax plan. And when you run out of taxpayers and or you hit a tax level that's too high for people to, uh, to pay, well, these systems that you value so much are not going to be there. And that's why you're seeing a lot of privatization going on, regardless of which party gets in. You, know, you can either listen to a guy like me who will tell you honestly that this is going to happen, you're going to have privatization, here's the reason, or you can vote liberal conservative where they will lie to you and tell you they're going to preserve universality in health care but carry on privatizing the system the minute they get in power. Or you can have a system like the United States. In the United States, you've got uh, the private health care that Bob wants, and health care no, costs don't. are about 30% higher than the, they are here. United, well, 
cost to the consumer as they should be, yes, because they pay their price well, I mean, more the total cost do. per capita to, to care for somebody in the United States. Well, that, uh, and part of the phenomenon is that we see how much they pay their doctors the, down there for the, cornflakes because they can get that because it's a privatized system. Well, doesn't that tell you something then? That then there's yeah, even more in it that for system. the doctors. It's too expensive. Well, no, there's a lot of problems with the healthcare system in the U.S., and it is not privatized to the degree that you think it is. It's incredibly socialized. They have Medicare. Um, the, the insurance decisions that are made before the courts are ludicrous. They're very socialistic, redistribu redistributing wealth, and that's what drives the price of everything up. Basic health care, though, I've talked to Canadians who went over to the States, got sick, had basic health care done, whether it was dental or even open-heart surgery, I remember, with my father-in-law. It's a fraction of the cost here. I, it, I just don't understand where that's not what I've heard. Anyway, I didn't mean to take you off no, topic, Gord. No, that's right on topic. Thanks for the call, Gord. Okay. Appreciate okay. it. Uh, the phone lines are open, 643-1290 or star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. That's a free call. We're talking about uh, the changing uh, political landscape, I guess. The possibility of a brand new party on the right, uh, the United Alternative Conference. Now, one thing that, that I'm interested in, and I'd be interested to hear what Bob has to say about it, strikes me that the name of this, of this uh, proposed uh, uh, initiative, United, and the word United, when I hear that, I think of the United States. <laughs> and when I think of the right, I think of the United States. When I think of right-wingers, as a left-winger, it seems to me that what they would like is for Canada to be just like the United States. Ooh. And I wonder, Bob, is that Surely it's an overgeneralization, but uh, how far wrong am I about that? Well, you know what? We're going to answer that question okay. in just a second. Sorry. Sorry to break in, but we've got to take a, a commercial break here. We're going to come back in just a minute for more uh, Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Metz, and Bob Metz is going to answer that question. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Metz. We're talking uh, about uniting the right, and uh, Bob was just about to uh, answer a question that Jeff uh, proposed. Do you want to just recap that question oh, yeah, for everyone? Oh, yeah, just that, uh, mm -hmm. that uh, when, I, when I heard the name United Alternative, that it immediately sort of, in my mind, uh, associated with the United States. And, and I wondered whether that was a coincidence or whether that was sort of some subliminal suggestion of what the party might be all about. And, and coming from the left, it always seems to me that um, the, the right in Canada seemed to like the United States and wish that we could be just like the United States. And, and I'm sure that's an overgeneralization, but I, I'm interested in sort of how far off that is from mm -hmm. your perspective, Bob? Well, I'm surprised the word united only you associate with the states. I mean, unity in Canada has been an issue ever since I was born, and we haven't achieved it's it confederation. yet. So, but, but it's, it's, you know, that, that unity is that threat. Um, I never ever refer to the U.S. when I talk about the values that I espouse. I, I espouse values of individual freedom, freedom of association, conscience, belief, freedom of speech. Now, these, these things are enshrined in the U.S. Constitution and are not enshrined in any other constitution. They're nominally put into the Canadian one with several overriding clauses. So, is that American? I don't care whether it is or not. It's got nothing to do with it. If, if tomorrow America abandoned all its principles, would I change my mind and become a, a, a socialist American? No, I would continue saying that, that freedom was what I, what I stand for. You know, the U.S. has a lot of problems that we in Canada do not want, although we import them quite often. Um, one of the, I'd say some of the worst laws the states have, which creates havoc around the world, is their drug laws, believe it or not. 
Um, drug laws fuel the drug crisis, they fuel the drug issue, they create wars overseas, and they're a way of getting funds to various uh, military operations without having to go through Congress since you're operating outside of the law anyway, and we've had politicians caught with that many times. Mm -hmm. um, that's why these laws exist, and they also exist for the benefit of, of the criminal faction. It's making untold profits on it without, make it, without money or, or taxes being paid. I, I mean, that's just one of many things that I wouldn't like about the states. Uh, um, the state is getting very heavily socialized, which increases their problems and racial strife and everything else. They're doing the same thing we're doing here in terms of official bilingualism, only down there they have in some states 65 official languages. And it's, it's creating ghettos of poor people who cannot communicate or can't have job skills because they need the language of trade, English, to get out into the job market. But, but, you know, people seem to be able to, willing and able to sacrifice everything that they need in life to survive for all these supposed cultural values, which is a big issue at the United Alternative, you know, that we have to spend billions and billions of dollars on culture so that we can say we have one. That's just absurd to me. That's, that's madness. If somebody had told me anything like that and, you know, I just came out of the cradle, I'd say, put that guy in a rubber room. But that's how this country runs. I guess what... One of the things that you said in there that, that I struck me was you talked about how the United States is becoming more socialized. My, my sense over the last uh, 15 years or so has been that the world generally has moved more to the right than from the left. The rest of the world has, but the U.S. was more right to begin with and has moved more towards the left. The rest of the world realizes, I don't even like right and left, I don't think those are the correct terms. I think the rest of the world has moved more to free markets, um, more to open trade, yeah. and ec which, which is necessary for survival. and. Uh, so, you know, it's that, old, it's that old saying, when goods don't cross borders, arm, armies will. So you better let those goods cross borders. Now, do, do I, it may happen to know the history of, uh, we have the Progressive Conservative Party, which I gather was a coming together of two parties originally, and I don't even know when that happened, but uh, it was always sort of an odd name, you know, that uh, the editorial writers sort of joke about it, saying, how can you have the name Progressive and Conservative mm -hmm. in terms of a, a, an oxymoron? But I gather, again, that that was a coalition originally that, that came together. Yeah. Do you well, know progressive, well, I know that whenever the word progressive is applied politically, it means socialist. Wherever you see the word progressive, so, you, so you've got a term socialist conservative, which is what Harris is too, by the way. They haven't changed their name. They're still socialist conservatives. They want to run the socialist system very efficiently. They have not once said that we should have freedom of choice in education where we should be able to direct our taxes to the school of our choice. They have not once said that we should have choice in health care and all this stuff. Now, does that distinguish they just want to monopolize it even greater and take more control of it in order to run it efficiently, which is something I thought you supported, Jeff. Well, as I've said in the past, you know, when I started out in this business, reform was a left-wing term and conservative was a right-wing term, and they seem to have switched around now that reform seems to be a right-wing term, whereas I'm trying to conserve our system <laughs> wherever I can, so the labels have switched around. But I wonder, uh, at first I had thought maybe there's some kind of a model there for this unite the right if that's happened before with the progressive and conservative party but if, it, if if what you're saying is the case is that they're socialist conservative maybe that explains why the reformers bailed out in the first place which makes it less likely they're gonna bail back in again that's right I don't think your hardcore you know reformers are gonna go conservative at all they well, fundamentally disagree on very basic fundamental issues and that's something we we wanted to touch on as well before we before we end this discussion is it possible at all to to do this uniting the right because they have uh, their resolution at the conference, I guess, was to, uh, they want to try and create a, a new... A well, totally I, I have a scarier party. question for you. Suppose they were successful at uniting the right and they got elected. Then what? Good question. Government as usual. Mm -hmm.
same policy, same Quebec appeasement, same everything. Would it's, it be it's any exactly different? what would happen. Yeah. No, the, the, the impetus is not, we need a cultural revolution in this country, not a political one. Political revolutions run about 20 to 50 years behind the society that they rule. And what we need is a cultural revolution in the country, and by that I mean real culture, where people are able to express their values and not have them forced down their throats at every point. You know, even, even the other day I just read in the paper the CRTC has approved another multicultural channel that they're going to force on the cable companies this fall, force all of us to pay for. They're going to shift some station off the bottom end so that they can put a French-slash-Aboriginal station on one of the lower dials. This is insanity, and it makes a lot of people angry against the very groups that are getting that benefit. Right. You know, it seems like in Canada, though, we do, there's, the, most of us are somewhere in the middle, and uh, one of the things that I've heard is that if they succeed in starting a new party, then the net effect of that is that most of the people in the PCs now will go to the Liberals, which will just perpetuate the Liberals' hold on things, that most of us are sort of somewhere in that squishy middle, and that there's a certain number of sort of um, ideologically fairly right-wing people who will be there and may occasionally form a government because people get annoyed with the, the Liberals or whoever, but they're just never going to run the country. Well... The right-wingers always save the country, and then the left-wingers screw it up. And have to <laughs> That's literally what happens. The left-wingers spend money until it goes right through the roof, inflation hits and taxes. Then we elect the right-wing government, fix it up a little bit, and although we're not really better off, then we elect another left-wing government, and we throw the taxes through the roof again. And it's just up to the point, I don't know how, how much we can take. Uh, um, you know, even this United Alternative, I, th I thought it was a disaster to hear it was only a 55% vote in favor of the alternative that they suggested. You would think out of all the delegates that would even bother to pay the three to five hundred dollar fee to go there, that there'd be a, a, a great groundswell of support for that mm -hmm. kind of They're thing. They're not, not very united. Yeah, and, that, and I know that most of the people who didn't go, like myself, and I was even sponsored, somebody would have paid for me and I wasn't willing to go. Uh, we just don't want any part of it. The options weren't there for us yeah. that we wanted to see. And Having said that, I admire their initiative. I, I think that uh, right now most of the energy in the sort of rightish parties are, are the young people who are coming up, the Tom Longs and so on. And uh, you've got these guys out there uh, working away in, sure. in February in Ottawa of all That's places. That's right. You know, yeah, they're, they're doing something. Working away, yeah. Well, and before we, uh, before we wrap it up, Bob, you mentioned something that was kind of interesting, too, that uh, you said when, when Preston Manning was in uh, London for the convention back mm -hmm. in the spring, you heard his speech, and you yeah. thought it was a you thought, thought it, was, it a was a retirement, retirement speech. speech. Yeah, that's what I heard. You've about. got that sense. Uh, I I was even sitting there making an observation to the person sitting next to me, and I said, "Manning's retiring." Well, you know that's that, that's the message I'm getting here. Well, he wants and to get out of politics. In the newspaper on the weekend, they're talking about how he's talking about compassion and all these things. If he keeps talking about that, he'll have to retire. <laughs> well, we're going to talk to him tomorrow on the show, uh, so maybe I'll ask him. But we got to take a quick break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Back. We are just wrapping up right, right, left, and center with Schlemmer and Metz. I'm Karen Murray sitting in this week for Jim Chapman, and we were just talking about possibly Preston Manning uh, well, retiring, maybe? I thought maybe. kind of a mean, mean comment about him there, using the word <laughs> compassion. Uh, what does compassion mean, Jeff? You know what compassion means in politics? It means that you're going to have your pockets pockets, money taken out of your pockets again, you know, it, it, that's what compassion in politics means. Compassion combined with force is no longer compassion. That's why you could never combine state and, state and religion, for example. As soon as you do that, you have an instrument of force and religion becomes evil. Well, I was struck, when, I was reading about uh, uh, sort of Christine Whitman, I think, is the governor of New Jersey, and uh, they convened a conference recently of the Republicans in the states after the, uh, after the, the recent uh, acquittal of the president, and she said, you know, we've got to fix our image here. For some reason, everybody thinks Republicans are mean, and uh, that that's what they associate the right with. And I, I, don't, I don't want to 
pursue that, but but I think that that is well, right wingers don't believe that. Left wingers paint that image on purpose so that they can garner votes from people who don't know any better about politics. <laughs> all that. I think that's all about. You just called me a name, there. Right? <laughs> I didn't say. <laughs> it's always entertaining with you too. Thank you so much. It's nice to have you Thank back you. here nice again. You. Hopefully, yeah. we'll do it again uh, sometime yeah. yes. soon. So that's this edition of uh, Right, Left, and Center. We'll be back again uh, next Wednesday with Jim Chapman at eleven o'clock. Coming up tomorrow on the show, well, we're going to talk to Preston Manning, the man behind all of this uh, Unite the Right movement. We'll be talking to him after 11 o'clock. I'll say hi to him for you guys. I'm sure he'll be, uh, he'll be happy that you uh, passed that along. Also, we'll be talking about...